Cooper comes up, hits it. Yeah! Oh my god! What a What a goal by McFadden! Go, Leach. There's the goal! Richie! Hello and welcome to the official Scotland podcast. We're here in the museum at the National Stadium, Hamden Park, and I'm delighted to say special guest this morning, Scottish FAJD Performance School manager now, Brian McLaughlin. How does that sound? It's a new role for you. Just explain uh, what exactly that means. Well, first of all, it sounds very long. It's must have the longest name now in the Scottish FA, which is pleasing. Um, but not really, you know, the last, I think the last two years, my roles have changed quite considerably. Uh, in the SFA. You know, a few years ago I was the head coach at Holyrood Secondary Performance School. I was there for five years and loved it. Um, and then Brian McClare came in and he wanted to change that role slightly by giving me more, you know, more responsibility with national squads. So he wanted to bring me in and work with under-16s initially, which was fantastic. And then obviously Malky's come in and he's, he's asked me to do more again. And and then the last few months, my roles have now changed, where I'm the under-17s national coach, which I want to keep people remembering. I do go on the pitch now and then. Um, and then ultimately, recently, I've now became the, the manager of the seven performance schools, which is a great honour. Something that I'm going to try my hardest to try and continue the success we've had, but ultimately try and take it to, to another level. For anyone who's still unaware of what the performance schools are, just, just explain that, that concept. I think many years ago, you know, we all sat in a room and, and we decided to get braver with some of our decisions. Uh, and we then came up with the idea that our best young players in the country need to train more. That was really it. You know, they need to train more. I think if you look around Europe now, that's now an absolute fact that the best players are training more. So from there, we then decided, well, how, how can that happen? You know, so we thought, well, the best players need to go to school. Everyone's got to go to school, I think. Um, which we then decided, right, so if the best players are going to school, then we need to try and create almost academies in a school. And then we realised that we really need to try and regionalise that and try and get as many players as possible. Our best young players, try and get them to one school in a local area. We have now seven of them. Um, try and get them into a local area and from there they'll be trained every day. The unique thing about the whole programme, like I said, is the fact that we take in you know players from all different clubs in that area. So you can, I mean, Holyrood at one point, I think I had 12 clubs, 12 clubs represented in my school. And they come every day, they train with me every day as part of their timetable. And I think that's really, really important that it's actually in their timetable as well. It's just a specialised subject. Um, so they come, they train with us, they then go back to school, they do all their education as normal. And then at night time, they then go and join their academy. So it's a unique programme. We're on our seventh year. And it's something that we're really proud of and something that I say to them. I'm going to try and continue and work really hard to make it better. Six years so far, is it working? How much is it working? I think it's working the fact that the ones that we generally had in day one are still making contact with the school. For me, that's a massive success. You know, like I say, with the boys leaving and yet they still want to come back and talk to the coach, they still want to come back to their school. So that's a success. I think in terms of players is what everyone obviously wants to hear. Is it working? Is it working? We were generally getting asked that in the first week. I'm not kidding you on the first week, it was like, are they working yet? And you're like, well, you know, my 12 boys have came every day to school, so yeah, it's working for me. But in terms of success, you know, in Scotland, people want instant success. Life wants instant success now. So for us, short term, yeah, it's worked. You know, we've had seven, 16-year-olds make their debut, which is quite incredible. If you look at the last 25 years in Scottish football, we haven't had seven 
16 year olds make their debut. Well, we've had it. We've had it really in the second year of the intake that, that could play football, you know, the ones at 16. So, instinct success has been really, really good. Our nationalist youth squads have certainly benefited from it. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, one of the key successes for us is getting players into, cl into clubs, into full time football, full time contracts. The clubs will always take it on from there. And, and so far, like I said, we've had. With incredible debuts at 16 year old, which is that's ahead of track. That's ahead ahead of the game. I'm sure everyone's aware it's a back to school time, which means a new intake for the performance schools for the the boys and girls who are just about to embark on that journey now. What can they expect? I think for the parents, they can expect a lot of nerves. Unfortunately, that's not anything that we've taken away. You know, I think the, the night before, if you're a parent the night before, you know, you, you go to any high school, you're terrified. I'm a parent myself, I've got four boys. I was terrified four times that they're going to a new school. It's a high school. They're the smallest and the youngest in the school. So those nerves will never ever leave. For these parents, it's probably even more because some of them are going to a completely new area. So they can expect a lot of nerves. But what I can say, and I've said this to the parents already, what they can really expect is when they go in there on day one, they already know one teacher. They know their performance school coach and I can guarantee them that one of the first things that the coaches will do and it's one of the key things is that we make sure their, their boys or girls settle into the school and I mean the school, just settle into the school as soon as possible and once we get them settled into the school we can then start becoming training and become a footballer. You mentioned the early signs of success, guys like Harry Cochran, Billy Gilmore, Dean Campbell would be the ones who've sort of you know taken the headlines if you like, what were these boys like? to work with and how sort of pleasing is it then to see what they've achieved so far in their, the early stages of their careers? Well, so f what they've achieved in their careers so far is incredible for us because they've never changed. They're still the same boys, you know, they've not, you know, still humble, still polite, um, which is really, really good for myself and also for parents. I think it's really, you know, it's a good honour for them as well that their young kids developed so much, got headlines and yet they've not changed. Um, one of the things that we're now trying to do actually is look at these players to see if there's any similar traits that they had. You know, if, I, if there is patterns that start to emerge, then we need to try and focus on that for the next few years. And all those boys, you know, like I said, the Billies, the Deans, they've all the challenges in the four years. You know, it's not been smooth for any of them. You know, young Dean, for instance, did his four years and then he was with three with Scotland. And the European Championships because a bad injury misses the finals. Um, and, he, and he's in tears on the phone, but you know what, that's football. You know, young Billy said to make a massive decision in terms of do I stay at home or, or do I leave? Um, that club that he loved, that were great for him, Rangers were great for him. But again, tough decision, he made it. I think the last six months, what he's achieved in the last six months has been incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, and Harry, for me, was another interesting one where he came into the schools initially and he was a Rangers player. I don't think many people realise that he was a Rangers player. He was then, I think, do you know what, I'm not, I wouldn't say he was released because I think that would be harsh on Rangers. I think Rangers looked at the boy and thought, he's probably not going to play here just now because of the midfield players they had at that age, Billy Gilmore being one of them. Um, and they decided along with the family that maybe he should leave, it would benefit the boy, and that's a brave decision for Rangers. But young Harry didn't realise that. Young Harry was, you know, devastated. He goes back to his school coach at that time, it was Andy Goldie. You go back there, we pick them up, and then Hearts come on. And what he's achieved in the last 12 months again has been incredible. 
but it's not been easy for any of them. Not been easy for any of them, but like I said, the one thing they all had in common was they loved training. They loved training, and I, I get another one of the head coaches, one of the key key things for head coaches is make sure that if a young boy or girl comes to our school in year one and they love football, it's really, really important that when they leave in four years, they must love football. And they four did, or they three did, sorry, and there's more. There's more, that's just the ones that's probably got the biggest headlines. I mean, you mentioned Billy Gilmore. He got even more headlines, if you like, when he went to Toulon in the summer with the, the under-21s. Did ever so well. I mean, without getting carried away on one hand, just how high are your hopes for him? Uh, incredibly high. And do you know what? I can actually say that with confidence because I know him. You know, um, For me, I had him for 12 months there. We played every top European team in the country. Sorry, in Europe. Every top one. And there was no better midfield player in Europe than him. I really, really believe that. I've told him that. Um, he knows what I think of him. So then when we had the discussions, and you know, again, discussions of do you take a 16-year-old to Toulon? Prestigious tournament. Do we take him? Is it ben does it benefit the player? And we sat in a meeting room, myself, Malcolm Mackay, Scott Gamble, Fraser Stewart, goalkeeping coach, Billy Starr. In fact, it was Donald Park then. And we sat and we'd talk about the player. Would it benefit the player? Because um, it's got to benefit the player and the club. And we took him. And I'm not kidding you on, we took him because of of how he trains. And I think when Scott then finally seen him training with, with, with first team players, they realised, you know what, this boy's, this boy's slightly different. Technically, he's as good as anybody in the country than now. I mean, the now, he's as good as anybody. Um, but it's his character and it's his personality and it's his, it's his drive to become better, which then made Scott decide, you know what, I'm actually going to play him against France, which is a remarkable decision for Scott. But he trusts the process as well and, and he put him in. And Like I said, it's not been easy for, for Billy, but I cannot, yeah, we should be, we should have high hopes for him. And, and that's because of him and the person. And again, his family's got a great family around about him, great family. Uh, they keep him on the ground, he's firmly on the ground and I, I expect big things from him. How tough is that balance to strike? Because I know that you're an optimist and it's good, sure. to, it's good to aim high. Um, people out there may also ac accuse us of you know, getting carried away and putting too much pressure or expectation on young players. How difficult is that balance when you've got someone so talented? It's very hard. Again, it really depends on the person. Like I said to you, I've got to know Billy. So when I speak to Billy and say, you know, I expect you to do this, that's because I now know him. Um, he thrives on the challenge. There's some other players, again, once you get to know the person, I've mentioned this before in coaching things, you've got to know the person. There's some other players that you would need to keep that away from them. You would need to say, no, don't pay expectations on them because that will not do that player any favours. For the wee man, it's different. You know, he looks at the next challenge as a challenge and he, and he, wants, to, he wants to embrace the challenge and he wants to get better. To be fair, so is Dean Campbell. You know, they're very, very similar. Dean Campbell, for me, it's bizarre because we played, we played Denmark in a qualifying game and on, on my midfield I had Billy Gilmore, Dean Campbell and Ethan Erhan at St Mirren. And unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. And yet, once we played Denmark about a month later, I noticed their midfield player went for 2.2 million to the German team. can't remember who it was. And you look at that and you think, OK, I had three better midfield players than him. The now. And I think with bigger potential in him. And that's without the likes of Harry Cochran and Mark Leonard, who I think I played higher that, that game. So we've got a real 
group of players coming through and let's see the, the character of them is, is fantastic and they want to I'm an optimist because they want to they want to come with you they want to change the change they want to change history there's also been a number of female players coming through the performance school as well how do the girls find life in that setup a challenge I'll be honest with you you know I think year one year, year in the schools it's really interesting because year one I think we all find that it's great. Year one's brilliant. The kids come in with you super enthusiasm. They love football, like I said at the start. and It's really, really easy. But in year two, you start to get challenges, physical challenges, um, just just nature. And for the girls, I think it's bigger, a bigger challenge for them. So we've always got to try and keep adapting the programme for them. Got to keep adapting that. Uh, we're probably still trying to get that balance right, what, that ba what the adaptation should be. Because again, Every young footballer needs to be challenged. You almost try to take them out of their comfort zone, just slightly out of it, almost every day. But you're still there to, to pick them up if it doesn't, you know, if they fall. So for the girls, it's tough. Uh, yeah, we admit that. We know it's tough. Well, I say we're trying to change the programme. It needs to be beneficial for them because ultimately we need our girls' game to be better as well. Uh, one of the things we're trying to even help on that is the recruitment. At younger age, recruitment's not a big thing in the girls' game just now for when they start playing football. So it's something that we're looking at. Can we, can we prove that and then ultimately can we make the programme better but we've got some really ta talented girls coming through you know Shelley Kerr again you think I'm an optimist so is Shelley Kerr who's our A-squad manager um, she's similar to myself she's similar to Malky you know we're impatient and we want we want the very top How important is legacy for you? How do you get to a stage where eventually you can't do this yet you've got a player who's 30 years old but he's still a performance school graduate and you know that that's still part of his makeup that's for me is one of the you know i was asked at the start what success in this program everyone thinks success is players in the first team of course it is of course that is you know success but for me i'll take great pride that you know in if in any performance school we go and watch the a squad training you know we go and watch the a squad training and you take a group of second years off the minibus to go and see the a group the a squad training and as soon as they got on the pitch, somebody from performance school jogs over. You know, goes to meet them. I was in your school, or I've been in a performance school, I was in S2. Come on. And he takes all the players in to meet the squad. That, for me, is going to be real success. I've said it before, you know, when you're in this programme, you don't leave it. It's there, it's the players' programme. And this is something like, yeah, I can only talk about some of the 2000s that's left. They've did this already. The 2001s, like the Billy and people like that. Billy was... After they came back from Toulon, Billy trained in his school the following week. Uh, remarkable. I've had boys that have left the programme come over, and because in Holyrood you train in Tory Glen, so you've got to walk the three or four minute walk to Tory, you've got to walk it, and I've had boys that have left the programme come in to watch the training and say, Brian, I'll walk the first years back. And it's great to see, because it's their programme. And for me, that's the, that is the legacy. At some point, we'll have Champions League players we will have Champions League players and they'll be coming back to their school because this is their programme. You mentioned that you're combining this role with your role as the under-17s head coach. How's, how's that side of it going? So for, for people who are sort of listening and, and wondering about the performance schools, yes, the, the, a large number of, of your under-17s will be performance school pupils, but, but they won't all be and then there's a bigger picture as well. So how's life with the under-17s? No, you're right. I think you know there's a, a misconception out there that they think if you're in a performance school that automatically means you're going to be in a Scotland squad. Absolutely not. You know, we make that perfectly clear to the players and the parents that when you join a performance school, you're not a Scotland player. 
you're not a Scotland player, you've just came to a Scottish FA performance school. After that, you've really got to work for it. You know, I, I'm in continuous contact with Celtic, who've got their own school, Hearts, who've got their own school, Rangers, who've got their own school. So when it comes to actually picking a Scotland squad for under-17s, everyone is, you know, starts on the same field. We look at the attributes of each player and we judge it on that. We never, ever look and think, he's a performance school player he should be in. You know, you've got to earn the reward to play for Scotland. You've got to, and then you've got, once you get that reward, you've then got to fight to keep that jersey. That doesn't matter if you're in a performance school or not. So everyone's on the same. I'm out all the time speaking to clubs. I work with clubs as well, you know, um, part of our coach education or elite coaching programme that Malky's brought in. So I'm working with clubs, I'm watching games all the time. And it's interesting because my job is, again, is to develop players for the national squad. I would love them all to come through the schools, but that's, that's not going to happen. So... Ultimately, my job is to make sure the squad's as strong as it can be. What do you try and achieve with players at that level then? Under-17s, I guess, is it a performance versus results type thing? Where's the balance there? What can you try and achieve with, with players at that age? Good football's incredible. You know, again, is it a result or is it a development of player? Um, I actually believe in youth football, it's easy to get a result. I think it's very easy to get a result in youth football. I'm sorry to take that back, it's not very easy. But... You can select certain, certain players, you can play a certain way and you can get results. But you might never develop a football player. And that's, we can't do that. So for us, it's about development of players uh, to try and play in this new Scotland way. Um, we're going to try and really achieve that. Unfortunately, when we're trying to achieve this at such a young age, we are going to lose games. But we're also going to win a few. But the biggest thing for us is when the game finishes, we can then look and say, right, OK... We may have lost the game, but did we achieve what we were trying to achieve in terms of development? One of the key things was, did we have the ball more than the opposition? That's just one of the things we look for now. Um, I'm a big believer in if you wanted to become a better footballer, you need to have the ball. You need to touch the ball. So that's one of the things we look for. Um, so for us, it's still about development. In fact, it's always about development. But that means you can, you can still win games as well as develop football players. And it's really, really important that even when the young boys come, I'm meeting new squad tomorrow. We play Russia on a double header. The plan is to beat Russia twice. You know, I know they did well in the World Cup and they're a massive country. Again, I don't really care about that. The plan for us is to beat Russia twice, but we're going to beat them doing it our way. And so we'll train for three days, not on Russia. We'll train for three days in terms of how we're going to play when we've got the ball and why we play when we've not got the ball. But the bottom line is to is to go over and play Russia. And, and dominate Russia and win both games, but we need to play it in the Scotland way, which will mean we're developing players, which is the key. If you can do that, that would just be the latest in a quite a long line of impressive results at, at that level recently. I know you worked with under-16s previously, now under-17s. How do we compare technically to, to the other big nations, if you like, at that level? Judging on the 2001 group, um, I don't think there's any European nation that I've played that are better technically than us. Again, I, you know, I've mentioned this before, that's including Spain, Germany, Croatia, England, Italy. You know, includes all of them. There's none of them better technically than us. None of them. Um, where we've really tried to, to change their training is more of our awareness and, and, and more tactical work. When you come away with Scotland, you don't do any technical work. You know, if I've got a Scotland squad, for instance, I'm away for six days. I'm not going to make any one of those players technically better. It's just not going to harm. I'm not going to make them fitter either. 
Um, there's no coach can do that in six days, it's impossible. So when they come with us, it's all about tactics in terms of, you know, here's where we could play, here's where the pressure's going to come from. And we're always trying to work on their awareness and we're trying to work on tactics. Because the technique's there, our clubs are doing a fantastic job. Our clubs and the performance schools are giving us technically better players. It's just my job then to, to make sure that they know what we're doing tactically and ultimately give them the belief. You know, it's the belief to go out there, you know, and I don't care who we're playing. I don't care if we play England and England. When we, as soon as we take centre, we go straight to our style. We don't wait five minutes. We don't wait ten minutes. We go straight to our style. When we're playing Spain in Spain, straight to our style. That's part of my job and my staff's job to make sure that these young boys walk on that pitch with the belief that they're technically good enough and they know tactically that they're better prepared than the opposition. Um, and I think we've seen that. I genuinely believe we've seen that. So technically wise, great. I think where we do still lack is physicality. We, we still lack in physicality. We're definitely later in catching up. Much later in catching up. Now I'm not sure if we can change that or not. Um, and it may even be going with the players we recruit as well. So again, we do recruit players for the future. We're not recruiting them to try and win against Russia. We're recruiting them for a game that's going to they're going to play in three or four years from now. Which so sometimes when we go on the pitch, we are miles off it physically, which is fine. It just makes the game harder. So we got on it. I mean, historically, we 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 have done quite well at that sort of age level. So the obvious question is. What goes wrong or why does it tail off afterwards? Why do we not manage to replicate that when it gets to the, the, the senior level? No, there's a good question. You could be here all day on this there's one, a but question. give it a go. Um, it's the, it is the area which needs to be really looked at, really researched. Um, people jump to the conclusion, you know, first team managers don't give them a chance, which is the easy answer. And there's an element of truth in that. There's no doubt there's an element of truth in that. But the young players need to be ready to go in because ultimately the manager may only last six games and then he's sacked. So there's all sorts of challenges for a first-team manager which, which we need to be aware of. You know, it can't be easy for a manager to stand when he's got his whole support five yards behind him, continuously giving him a, abuse. So we've got to have the young players ready. It's interesting because I was speaking to a young boy recently who's trying to break into one of the old firm. You know, I think he's 17 now, about to turn 18, and he's trying to break the old firm now. And chatting to him last week, again, a performance school graduate. And I was always saying to him, you've got to force the chance. You know, managers won't give you a chance. You've got to force it. So it's up to you to make sure you're the best trainer. When you go and train with the first team, you're the best trainer. Even though it's the first team, I don't care. You're the best trainer. Managers will take notice of that. When you're playing in the reserves, which it is now, you make sure that, if, that you are the best player. If you ultimately put 10 appearances together in the reserves, which is at the level he should be playing and it should be a top level, then the manager will give you a chance. So you've got to force the chances on the manager, but everyone's different in that age, you know. It's different uh, different challenges for each player. Some players can break the first team at 17, as we've seen with some of these young ones in the schools. But we've got other young ones in the schools just now that I'm hopeful will do it. But they might be age 20. They might be age 20, so they need different patience. They need different guidance. Ultimately, the clubs, that's what the clubs are there for and that's what the schools are there for, um, which is why you never leave the programme. But, you know what? It's a really challenging one, that why are we not getting more in the first team? Why are we not getting more playing at a top level, younger? Um, do we use the loan system good enough as well in the country? It's something that was debated recently. 
I know Scott Gemmell took the 2000s to Croatia last year in the European Championships. And we looked at that group and we thought, really good group. You know, very strong, physically really strong, actually more physical than the 2001s. But good group, good professionals. And then we brought back from them and we're like, come on, get some of these young ones out and loan. Because we thought they were at a level now. I mean, they're playing teams that, they're playing teams that are the very, very top of Europe. And these European stars in these other countries are playing first team football, either their own team or on loan. And we told that maybe some clubs would put some more players out on loan. It didn't happen. Again, I know I understand clubs have got different challenges, but I think we should lose the loan system better. Get them out early. And if they don't cope with it, fine. Bring them back in and, and get them ready for the next one. But it's a... Like, do you know what? This is... Why did you ask that question? <laughs> it's a tough one. I'm, I'm tough in no one. rush if you want to keep going. It's a really, really tough one, and we're all trying to find the answer. But do you know what? There's no real answer apart from you need to play first-team games. And in many ways, they need to fail. They need to go out there and maybe not play particularly well, and then you've got to support that. Well, with so, with so many variables then, how, how do you come up with that? a pathway for, for your youth players to, to get into to the, the Scotland A squad, for instance. Yeah. How can you confidently do that whilst acknowledging all the other obstacles that, that may be out with your control? It's very difficult. You know, very, very difficult because we don't control what happens at the club. It's, you know, it's very hard for Billy Stark, for instance, to select somebody from his under-19 group who we really believe has got real potential, but he's maybe never played in six months at his club. It really becomes a hard hard one then for Billy so then we've got to really believe that our process is right so you would still pick him but the young boy may not have played for six months so it's really difficult on the player uh, we try and relate back to the clubs in terms of who we think the key ones are um, but like I said the clubs have got their own pressures um, I would love and I'm sure they do this that a club have got to identify the potential in their own academies You know, so if they've got four or five players who they think these could be first-team players. These these players are worth millions, even though they're young. You know, it's a business at the end of the day. These players could be worth millions, so it's up to the clubs then to, to almost come up with their pathway. How do they get this... How do they get Dean Campbell from, the you know, a youth team to the reserves, to the reserves, to the first team? And I mean Aberdeen's first team. Maybe you can't do the jump from reserves, which then means you need to have a loan to, to, to help with the jump. But clubs need to do that as well. Um, and we need to do it and if we can help the clubs then we must we must help the clubs so if the club ever asks us what do you think um, then let's sit down and try and work out a pathway between us which is going to benefit the player but again along that pathway and everyone's is different you need a bit of pain the players need some pain but you then need to be there to support them In terms of our general performance strategy and how we keep you know getting better with can you give us a bit of an insight into some of the things that are being put in place it's not only yourself there's so many coaches all working to, you know pulling in the same direction what things have been put in place to make sure that we keep getting better i think when malky came in um malky's very driven and he's very ambitious you know he's very ambitious which is great really really great so when he came in initially we always speak in the scottish fa about player development player development player development and he came in then and looked and thought you know, it's an adult world now. Youth football is adults. There's coaches everywhere. You can go to a game now in a Club Academy Scotland game and there could be 11 players on the pitch for your team, but there's also 11 coaches off it. Now, that could be good or it could be bad. I'm no idea. But there's loads and loads of coaches. 
um, are adults. So we then decided, are we doing enough? Are we doing enough for the coaches? You know, they come, they, they do their coach education at Scottish FA, their B licence and their A licence, which is fantastic. But that only gives you so much. And we then identified that there may be a gap in the market here, that we need to do something more. After many long discussions, and Scott Gamble's now been brought in as head of coaching to look at this, after long discussions, we then decided to come up with almost an elite coaching pathway now. So we've brought in a couple of different programmes which we will now believe which will take our coaches to another level. And if we can do that, it's going to benefit the player. Just one of those ones we brought in was a thing called Pride Labs, um, which again, really the, the idea behind that is due to Project Brave. Project Brave come in to try and make the structure better in our academies, and it took a bit of criticism. But if you actually look at the reasons why it was brought in, it was brought in to help young players. It was brought in to help young players. So part of the, the structure change was that every club would now need a head of children's, would now need a head of youth, would also need a head of goalkeeping, head of sports science, and a head of academy. So it's almost five full, full-time jobs. It was not there before. We're the only country in Europe that's doing this. Again, we're ahead of the game on this. this will, other countries will follow suit. So we're a leading light on this. But when we brought that in, we then realised that some of these guys might need help. You know, there's 19 heads of children that have been brought in for the first time ever. They may actually need help in terms of what does a head of children look like. So we then decided to go and speak to a few clubs, find out what we could do on this, and then we'd be brought out Pride Labs. So Pride Labs is basically bringing 19 heads of children together four times a year to, to discuss their role and how we can help support their role. They'll also get individual visits to make sure that they're fine. It's the same with heads of youth, they'll get the same. It's the same with the goalkeepers, they're getting the same, which has never been done before. Like I said, I think we're the only ones in Europe. So that's been brought in. We're due to actually have our third one, very shortly. And it's been brought in to help our players. Another one that Malky then brought in was master classes. So he brought in Scottish Chef master classes. Again, we're one of the only the few in Europe that's doing this, where we've realised football's becoming more specialised. So we're now trying, we do this with our, with our squads. Sometimes in a training session, you know, one coach will just take the forwards away, one coach will take the midfielders away, and one coach will take the defenders away, and you just work in your units. Again, we do it in the performance skills. Um, the idea of that is to get to know these young people better, and then be really, really specific on the detail. I mean, the devil's in it, it isn't the detail, you've got to really drill down on the detail all the time. We can do it in small areas, which is easier than doing it in a living. But from that, we then realised we need to educate our coaches on this, which we did. So, you know, the very first one was about defending. We brought in Sean Dyche, who came up and spoke about it, and he was magnificent. And do you know what the good thing about Sean was? He came up and he was so simple so clear in what he expects his defenders to do as a unit and then ultimately he expects his whole team to help with defenders and we'd be brought him in and he's really open really really honest and it must be brilliant for our coaches they must be able to take something from that um, the next one was attacking and like I said we then decided to bring in Scotland's best ever striker and Kenny Douglas again so humble but his small words, small lines that he says is key for our coaches to listen to and, and actually ask him because he's really, really open. And then Malky managed to persuade Henrik, Henrik Larson to come over as well. And Henrik was just different class. Now, really, and I mean, Henrik didn't want to go on the pitch actually. 
um, which was a bit of a challenge that he threw at us all. He says, like, I don't want to go on the pitch, but I want to come. So we then thought, how do we change this? So we did something completely different. We basically put goals on a screen and we asked Henrik to talk through his thinking throughout the move. And when you actually start listening to someone like Henrik Larson talking what happens, what he's thinking on the pitch for these goals, it was an eye-opener for us and ultimately for our coaches. And this is where Malky's made the difference. It's it's small details. It's small details. So you think about Henrik, a great finisher. Henrik was thinking, you know, four passes ahead. The ball's there, I won't move yet. You know, the ball goes to Alan Thompson. I now move because Alan Thompson generally passes it forward. He generally hits the cross early, so now I move. It's stuff like that Henrik was talking about. Certain goalkeepers he used to speak about, certain goalies always dive early. Certain goalkeepers don't. Kenny speaks about that as well. And all of a sudden our coach is like, well, you, you stop with that on the pitch? And they're like, yeah. Because top strikers, the best strikers in the world, sorry, the best players in the world, they think different. So we've got to coach that. And this is where the Malkies made a difference in their coaching pathway. And ultimately we want to make it really, really open. And we want us to share ideas, because nobody knows all these answers, so we share it. So we share ideas, and this is what he's brought in. And it's really... The feedback's been incredible, rightly so. Our next one's midfielders, which we're hoping to do one by the end of the year. Um, so, and I'm not sure who the guests are going to be yet, but that's the kind of a level that Malky's contacts are. But it's when the guys come in, they're really, really open. And it's great for our coaches, because they'll make the players better. In terms of the tools you've got at your disposal, I know you've been doing a lot more with talent ID and, and sports science. And I, I guess there's perhaps an element out there who would say, you know, is that sort of stuff really necessary when kids are so young? But I'm sure the reality is it's what everyone else is doing. And if you want to try and get ahead of these other countries, then these are the types of things you have to utilise. agree. No, I agree. Um, it's interesting, let's say, the performance schools we brought in to try and give our young players more contact time on the ball. And we just thought at that point, well, this is what you should do. But then we actually, look, you look at the semi-final of the World Cup, for instance, Croatia have had their schools for years, Belgium have had their schools for years, France have also got the big one in Clairefontaine, plus another eight, eight I think, in fact it's more than eight now, and then England have got their, 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 their side of a performance school where they've almost, the clubs, are, they've got the money to generate their own. So we actually thought we were trying to get ahead of the game in performance schools, but we're actually only matching them. We're actually only matching them. Um, and it's the same rate across the board now. You know, you go now, you see actually on a, we played Germany in, in March. Germany had 22 people as a backroom staff. 22 members of staff. And you're like, well, no, again, I think that's upset. I think that's a wee bit much. But that just shows you the level of detail they're getting into. And it's the same right across the board now. There's more and more research getting done in talent identification. More and more research. You know, what is, you know, what is talent? Is it, is it just the best player on the pitch? at age 10, or is it actually not the best player on the pitch, but it's the one who's probably shown the best signs that if you wait for it, that'll come through. Um, unfortunately, one of the things of pro youth has been we are maybe judge kids too quickly, because now you're trying to get them into their academies early. Um, and this is a bit of research going into it, like I said, to try and help in talent identification. And sports science is another one, where you know there's some countries that are really, really, from a very, very young age, Looking into sports science, you know, we're not at that stage yet, but it's certainly areas, you've got to look at every area. 
like I said, I've just mentioned the coaching there. We're ahead of Europe in terms of what we're trying to do with our coaches. <laughs> the good thing is, once Europe start finding out about this, and bizarrely enough, we've had phone calls from Europe, we've had phone calls from America to find out what we're doing. They'll just replicate it again in 12 months from now, so we need to think ahead again. Um, so not everything's getting looked at, because our players deserve the chance. Our players deserve the chance to play in the top five leagues. Unfortunately, Scotland's not a top five league at this moment in time. You know, so we want our young players to make our league better and then it's up to the clubs if they then want to sell them, they can, but they sell them for big money. And then that gets redeveloped straight back into youth development again and we start we then become the sixth big league. That's the ambition. Right, just to finish off then, you said yourself you're an optimist. <laughs> you're a dreamer. This is your chance. Sell us sell us the vision. Why do you think that things are on the up for the Scotland national teams? People. Honestly, it's all to do with people. Um, you've got people in the organisation just now, and I mean adults. Uh, you've got coaches in here just now who really, really want to make a difference. And they don't do their job, they do their job plus. Uh, I also know there's people in the academies are the same. The people in the academies are dying to get more information, they're dying to find out something different. Um, because we all want to make a difference, and people do. That's the reason why, it's not money. You know, I'm sick and tired of hearing we've not got the same finances as this country and that country. Right, OK, we'll never have the finances. But we've got the right people. And that's the reason why I think the right people in charge of it, the right people in our academies, will help the right people on the pitch. Because, let's face it, the people on the pitch, the players on the pitch, are the only thing that matters. They're the only things that matters. And I think we've got the right people to take our game forward. Cooper comes up, hits it. Yeah! Oh my God! What a goal! What a goal by Mick Fleming! Go, Leach! There's the goal! Richie!